Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. A lifelong resident of Wilmington, Delaware, Deshana Neal is the founder of Intersections of Pride Foundation. They are the co-organizer and creator of Newcastle County's first ever LGBTQ Youth Pride Festival, as well as Delaware's first Drag Queen Story Hour. But first and foremost, Deshana is a Black queer mother. Her work into advocacy and activism started off on a very accidental foot when her three-year-old announced I am a girl. Trinity was classified as male at birth based on anatomy, but had the internal sense of being female. Deshauna didn't have to think twice when a therapist asked her if she wanted a happy little girl or a dead little boy. Deshauna has been fighting for her daughter ever since, taking on school officials who were uncomfortable with Trinity's feminine clothing with family members who accused them of feeding the child's mental illness, with acquaintances who questioned their parenting. She battled state Medicaid so Trinity's puberty blockers were covered. If you mess with this mama bear, you're gonna get bit. Now Deshana is nationally known transgender rights champion, but she never sought the limelight. Together with Trinity, Deshana works to change hearts and minds. Deshana, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? And what's the weather like there in Delaware? Here we've been going through a lot. I'm in Michigan. We've been going through a lot of rain and, you know, but what's life like in Delaware? I know that's your home. Yes. Um, So I'm doing okay. I'm hot. So um, we have been in a heat wave now for a little over a week, mm-hmm. but it should be breaking today when the thunderstorms hit. Um, but pretty mm-hmm. much it's been in the, you know, mid to high 90s, lots wow. of humidity. Mm-hmm. Uh, just feels real heavy. And, yeah, i just been trying to stay cool, keep the kids and the pets cool, while also <laughs> still trying to get stuff done. You know, because it's never done when you have four kids. Um, I know. It's never done. Never done. So this is my self-care routine where I go out and then I just pause in a, like, a parking lot and just turn on my AC and either listen to, like, 
a true crime podcast or an audio book and just nibble on some food with mm. no kids or mm-hmm. It's just the nicest thing. I get people who walk by looking at me, and I'm like, I know you're jealous. I, too, hope one day you can sit in your car and not deal with kids. And, and you know what? That. It's just like <laughs> that, that, that self-care, it is so important that we do self-care. We often don't. Yeah. You know, you know, particularly when you're involved in advocacy and this work, like you said, the work never stops. And right. just when you think, okay, well, I can sit it down for a minute, but then something oh, else no. will come, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and on so many levels. You're a wife, you're yeah. a mother, you're an advocate, you're a black woman. I mean, so, I mean, there's so many things that you can see that, you know, just when you go like, okay, I'm cool. Oh, no, yeah. this comes where someone will call you. And that self-care is, like, so important to be able to regroup and refocus and keep going, you know? Yeah. And it doesn't, you know, I like to to always point out, like, it doesn't have to look like what you read about in those magazines. Like, taking Mm -hmm. a bubble bath for me is not self-care because, again, I have children. (laughs) And they just just come in. And if people think they stop doing that in their teenagers, they don't. They just come in. They may not look at you. But they'll be like, so when's dinner? We're starving. Oh, my goodness. Uh, uh-huh. And you're just like, okay. <laughs> so you're, I'm not relaxing in the tub, but I do find uh-huh. if I'm already out running errands, I'm going to take that moment to just kind of sit. And uh-huh. that's, you know, I I made it a point in 2020 when, you know, I thought it was going to be a great year. Um, I made a resolution. I made a resolution, and it was to take a nap a day, and to find time for me, no matter where mm-hmm. it was or how it looked, as long as it was for me. And mm-hmm. so, the napping is really hard, but I recommend it. Like, I'm good at it now. But in the beginning, because you're always on, you're always moving, you feel like you always have to do things. And I was burning out. And I was like, mm. it, social justice is going to be there when I come back. So, um, Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I ended up doing research on, like, how to nap from the best nappers in the world, my cat, because <laughs> Anyone naps throughout the day without a care in the world, it's going to be cats. <laughs> and oh, yeah. And so I just started taking a nap when I felt my body was like, you know, it was about listening, too. So like, my body was like, I can't push on another second. And so I was like, well, time for a nap. And I go and get comfy in my bed, got my fans going, and my cats will usually all jump on the bed, and we're all sleeping just out mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. so, so good <laughs> it feels so good and it helps a lot you know I think that one of the greatest gifts that my mother gave my son is that ability to nap because you know I was a single mother I had to I had to, to go to work my mother as long from the time we were kids had always worked 
midnight, but she had, you know, these three kids, so she would learn how to nap when she came in, you know, nap between me, you know, while we were at school, you know, nap before she went back to work. And she was my number one support system. And so when she would nap, he would nap. And so even now, sometimes, like, he'll come in, he said, oh, I've got to take a nap. And one day he told me, he said, you know what, I get this from Grandma, because Grandma sometimes said, you know, you just got to rest. He said, and I do that. And I think it, it is people, you know, like, like underrate the importance of being right. able to nap. Mm-hmm. And society doesn't, doesn't allow it. Society mm-hmm. tells you if you're napping, you're unproductive, you're lazy, and they make you feel bad for it. And I go, okay, will the customers still be coming even while I'm napping? And will they be there when I wake up? Yes. Well, good news. I'm mm-hmm. going to take a nap. <laughs> and it, 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 <laughs> my friends laugh at me because I do that. I go, hey, good news, and then I actually give you terrible, terrible news. But oh, I, you know, I found that napping – was my, also my act as a, a, I'm a single mom too, I'm divorced, uh, you know, a black, queer, disabled, single mom. As, it was an act of resistance to, to white supremacy, to capitalism. They don't want especially black people to stop working. Mm-hmm. They've been having us work for, for centuries. Like, they don't want us to stop. They want mm-hmm. us to break our bodies until we're no longer useful. And... I refuse, and therefore I resist. <laughs> so. You know, that is so true because you know what it is. How many people do you, especially, you know, like I said, my mother rarely missed, you know, a day going to work. And many, like we work, 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 and it is. It is an act, you know, to say, I'm going to do for me. I'm taking care of me. What you need to be there, you know, but. I have to, if I don't take care of me, but it is, uh, you can't pour from an empty cup. And, That's right. You know, and, and that is just like, you know, I, I act of, you, you know what? That's a book. That's a book. Napping, the art of revolution, you know. I know. Uh, I've been giving all my friends tips because they're like, I think I'm ready to nap more. I'm like, let's talk. <laughs> mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to even, I'm like, you will know if you've had a really good nap with how ugly it was. If you're waking up with wrinkles in your face from your sheet and drool dried on your lips, you had a great nap. <laughs> yes, yes. Naps are yes. not pretty. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. pretty. I will be, I've had my kid, my older two come home from high school. And they'll come up to see that I'm napping. And then when I finally wake up, they're like, Mom, you are not a pretty napper. <laughs> I'm like, good. Mm-hmm. So, hey, I'm, not trying to, uh, I'm trying to go to sleep. I'm trying to get that rest in. You know, it's you're from Wilmington, and you and yeah. you, uh, you said that the model of Wilmington is a place to be somebody, and you always believe that about yourself. Where did that come from I mean that that you know because we know a lot of people who go through life and don't recognize that they are somebody what they're doing matters where did you where did you get that 
Um, well, it depends on who you talk to. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> if it's me, I'll say I just, as someone who was tiny and quiet and bullied and experienced so many traumas, I just always never wanted to see others go through it. Um, but my family would say it's because I'm rebellious. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't feel as I'm told. Um, which I'm like, that's fine too. <laughs> I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, my mom and I talk about it sometimes. I'm the youngest, and she had me later in life, and so you know, I really marched, like as they say, marched to the beat of my own drum. Um, and much to my family's disappointment, I actually joke with my therapist uh, and she's always like say think of something and then come back and you know tell me a positive thing you've acknowledged about yourself and I use a lot of humor to bypass trauma and just all the disappointments in my life so one day I went back and I go I have something and she's like okay I'm like I'm the greatest disappointment my family ever has she's like why are you like this (laughs) (laughs) Mm-hmm. It's a positive twist. Um, but according to my mom, I was always fighting for the people who didn't have voices. Mm. So, you know, I was one the first generation of bus city kids to suburban schools um, for the choice program. So I'm first generation choice program here. So, of course, we're in schools where they're not very used to seeing black kids. And I I still remember my first day of first grade when one of my classmates asked me why my skin was so dirty. Mm. And me not understanding what they meant and going home and trying to rub my skin off. And my family didn't understand why they would still have to have a conversation about race because they're uh, they're older and they're of the civil rights era, the boomer, you know, boomer. So they mm-hmm. assumed everything was fixed, you know. <laughs> and, uh-huh. you know, now my mom, she's starting to realize it was never fixed. Um, but she gets worried about me because I'm very outspoken about it. So, you know, she kind of thinks that I'm, being divisive, and I should just let it go like they did. And I was like, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, sorry, Mom, I'm millennial. <laughs> we hate everything. So, mm-hmm. but supposedly I would learn, I love learning. I By the time I was in the first grade, I was reading at a fourth grade level. I love mm. books. And mm-hmm. I remember the first time I picked up this book from the library called Freedom Train. And I just was like, that sounds amazing. And it was this black woman on the cover, and she was, like, holding the hand of a, a young black child. And, like, there was all these other black people behind her, and she's, like, powerful and looking off to the distance. And that was when I first learned about Harriet Tubman. And that book was had such an impact on me as a person um, that I suddenly was like, I want to be like 
Harriet Tubman. Mm-hmm. And I took it a step further where I was like, I don't just want to set people free. I also want to give them the tools so they can speak for themselves and advocate for themselves. I was like six years old. (laughs) 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 And I dressed up as Harriet Tubman and did a presentation. You know, we had to read a book and write a report and do a presentation. Here I am, Harriet Tubman, doing a presentation in front of my white classmates who had never heard of a woman. Hmm. And I remember talking about, and she freed this many slaves, and she was also a spy. And I remember how it ended. When I ended it, I was all proud of myself. And one of, I thought the kids would be clapping, but one kid raised her hand, and she was like, what's a slave? Oh, my. Hmm. And the teacher stopped the entire conversation. Because I was going to answer. I think she knew that. I was going to go, well, actually. And the teacher was like, that's, that's just not something we need to discuss because it was a long time ago. Everything's fine now. So. Wow. And it isn't started that amazing? really young. Uh-huh. But isn't that amazing that that's something that happened a long time ago? We're not going to talk about that. That that happened then, and they still don't want to talk about it now. They all right. Like, uh, I mean, I was listening to one thing, and they were talking about what is that critical race theory, and someone said, "Well, yeah. you know, why should we make kids feel bad about what happened a long time ago?" You know, part of learning. They're not going to feel bad. They're going to learn. Exactly. You will feel. They're, you're going to feel bad. Mm-hmm. But you know, I have to answer questions mm -hmm. about why Grandpa says this word, and you know, and that Confederate flag your uncle has up, you know. mm -hmm. (laughs) And you know, and even if they feel bad, okay, like I know people who, like people talk about, oh, I don't want to feel anything. But you know what? Part of feeling the pain and the sadness is part of the healing. If you disguise the pain and you keep covering it up, you never get right. to the healing and being better. And you then talk, you hear people talk about how kids these days don't care about anything but themselves. And like, well, you didn't give them a chance to learn about others and have empathy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They have to be taught, kids just don't have empathy. They have to be taught empathy. It has to be modeled. And usually that is through education. And so, oh, they hated it. And then I um, did another thing. Uh, in second grade, it was like a like a play or something for um, President's Day. And so all the kids in my class were to be like President. George Washington, President Lincoln, blah, 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 and talk, like, each kid got to be somebody white and talk about what they they did for America. I didn't want to be any of the white people. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I know, I'm going to be Frederick Douglass. 
waiting my turn. And, like, my mom's the only black parent in the audience, you know. And each kid's like, I'm Martha Washington, and I did this, you know, like, little things. And when I finally come up, I'm like, I'm Frederick Douglass. I was an escaped slave who taught myself how to read and write. And I became an amazing writer, and I also worked alongside Abraham Lincoln, and the kid who was Abraham Lincoln, like, waved to me. I'm like, but here's the thing. I didn't like his proclamation of emancipation because he was only going to free the slaves that were in the north. He was not going to free the slaves that were in the south. And so I was like, no, you got to do it all. And he's like, fine. <laughs> and my mom said, I just would not stop. And then I brought up Juneteenth. I was like, but the sad part is, like, mm-hmm. there were slaves in Texas who didn't even know who slavery was abolished because – they, the owners weren't going to give it up because they were making money. And my, my, I, my mom says she was, like, shrinking <laughs> in her chair. Mm-hmm. And the teacher was trying to usher me off the stage. But I was like, and if you're wondering what a slave is, a slave was people who look like me who was kept for free and not treated really nice by people that look like you. And that's how I oh. ended my pre <laughs> uh, you know, mom, and you know, what did your mom do? She was so embarrassed. She said she was embarrassed. And I'm like, mm-hmm. and we were re- we were recounting this. This She was just here up from Florida. And I asked her, like, how did you feel? And she's like, I was so embarrassed. I'm like, why? Why would you be embarrassed of your child standing up and speaking truth? Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, because there were so many eyes on me. I'm like, that's white supremacy. They want mm-hmm. you to feel bad air action. Mm-hmm. How does that make sense? And she's like, well, you, you, you don't understand. You would do the same thing if it was one of your kids. I'm like, actually, Mom, Thane is six years old. And he has refused to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. And when his teacher told him he had to stand, he responded, I won't stand until Black Lives Matter. All right. And she sent me an email about it. And then I responded, well, don't you agree with him? (laughs) And any way she would have answered that would have been Mm -hmm. bad. Except Mm -hmm. for I do agree with him and I'm perfectly fine with it. Sorry, I emailed you. And my mom just looked at me, like, your generation is just different. I'm like, our generation's tired. <laughs> like, we're done. And he does not have to stand. You know, really. I mean, you know, I, I under, I, and I understand that part of it is generational. I mean, there was a time when, you know, not only would the parent have been embarrassed, they would have gone up there and, and, and grabbed you by the arm and dragged you home. But you know what? Yeah. This is our truth. You know, right. And we won't ever get to that point to be, you know, in that quote-unquote post-racial society if we don't speak our truth. Right. And, you know, so that is just like, for me. It started mm-hmm. there. It started very young. Very young. Wow. And wow. really just, I think, blazed more and more as I got older. Mhm. Well, I mean, that is just like phenomenal. I love that, and I love that 
your son. So, hey, not until, you know, until we have our kids are doing that and stand for that, you know, and stand up for that, you know, we can't be embarrassed. All that, oh, you're embarrassed yes. because of what is that, politics of respectability? No. It's a politics of truth. And, and, you know, and authenticity. Right. Mm-hmm. And when I told her this story, I was also surrounded by my older siblings. Mm-hmm. And they were like, he probably doesn't even know what that means. I'm like, he absolutely knows what that means. Mm-hmm. I was like, that, we can't keep doing that either, thinking that kids don't know anything. They know a lot more than we think. Thank you. They hear, they watch, they know. And they're getting their information at the touch of a finger. They're getting it so fast now. Mm-hmm. They know. And I'm like, and that's how I became the advocate I am today because I knew my daughter knew at age three she was a girl. Mm-hmm. I well, before people like, well, how, oh, go ahead. Well, let's take a quick break, and then I want to I want to get into that. So let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about, and I love that, my sister, Mama Bear. We'll be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. are back here on Collections by Michelle Brown, and I am speaking with Deshana Neal, who is the founder of Intersections of Pride Foundation. Like, we talked about this for how do you say, like, you mess with the mama bear, you're going to get bit. And you know what? I got, you know, really, as a black mother, I mean, you get there. And I was telling you, you know, I had listened to, I had curated this poetry um well, not with the poetry, it was, it was BIPOC Queer Voices. And I listened to, we started out with a poem by Dee Dee Waters, and it was about Say Their Names. And, like, she went through everyone from Emmett Till to George Floyd and everybody in between. And as a black woman and as a mother, okay, first of all, you went through all of that. But as you have mm-hmm. children... I mean, whether they're, when you, as a black woman, when you have a child, you immediately know that in some ways, you know, they are at risk. And we all have had that talk with our kids. We all hope that they're okay. You know, sometimes it's been like, I was telling someone, I can remember telling my son, okay, when you ride your bike, you just ride your bike on this block where I can see you. Because 
it was a moment, you know, I, that's what I, that was the first version of the talk. You were talking about how you became an advocate. And, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you, I love how you love your daughter. That's the way it's supposed to be. This is your child. Yeah. You brought her into the world. And, you know, so tell us about that. I mean, that, I mean that is, I've, I've read different things, and I saw a video about it, which touched my heart. But in your words, when Trinity came and talked to you at a very young age, you believed her. Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I actually didn't think I wanted to be a mom, and not because mm. I did. I mean, I tolerate kids. Mine are great. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but because I just didn't think I'd be able to be the kind of mom I knew I wanted to be because I didn't have an example. You know, um and you always hear about those mother-daughter relationships, particularly black mother-daughter relationships. And I was, I was scared. So I was like, if I do have kids, I cannot have a daughter. Mm. So <laughs> when Trinity was three, she started saying she was a girl. It was really one of the first sentences that were, that was coming out of her mouth. And I did not. I knew nothing about this. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't understand. Like, there was nothing about transgender kids back in the early 2000s at all. And so I was really on my own in this. And I tried to talk to family. I tried to talk to friends. And I got the same thing over and over again. You're letting that child rule you. Uh. And I realize that is a common idea that if your child is asking you to hear them and it's different than what you expected, they're automatically trying to manipulate you. And I knew I didn't want that kind of relationship with my child or any of my children. Um, I knew, you know, when I had her and I held her and I got to take her home, my first thing to her, I I was like, I got your back. Regardless of what it is, I will always have your back. And I was like, I guess it's time for me to practice what I preach. Mm -hmm. So... I stop, I tell people when I talk about, I stopped listening with my ears and started listening with my heart. And my heart was telling me, my child is truly trying to say something here. And it's important. So I need to sit down, get to that her level and listen. It has no reflection on me. This is her life. And so by age four, we started her, we started her social transition, and we haven't looked back since. 
You know, it's a thing that to me that is also like so. And and you know what? And that's a black mama. Okay, come on, that's a black mama. I have talked to some other people who who weren't black, and they were talking about, well, you know, at first we tried to just believe it was going to be a phase. I've heard them talk about, oh, we thought of all we were going to miss because we had looked forward to our child doing X, Y, and Z. That was sex base, like, you right. know, oh, if it was a boy to play baseball, if it was a girl, where she was going to have a, but you like, you said, let me find, you got down on her level to hear about it, and then, so, to help her live her authentic self, and although we know there's no books out there that adequately tell you how to raise a child, there certainly are even fewer out there that are going to tell you how to raise a trans child and to listen to it. But, you know, you just said, I want this. This is my daughter. I want to have, I thought, so how you said that you, um, a therapist asked if you wanted a happy little girl or a dead little boy. And, you yeah. know, and you were like, and you were all in. You know, you were that mama bear. This is my baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I do have parents ask me, like, Wow, did you feel like a lot of your your hopes and dreams for your child disappeared? And I was like, no, I didn't have any. Mm-hmm. Like, the thing about expectations is you're most likely going to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't put mm-hmm. expectations on anybody. You need to love them without conditions. And so every child I was pregnant with, I was like, well, I mean, the only expectation I had was get out. <laughs> You're heavy. <laughs> I can't mm-hmm. do this anymore. Okay. The nine month time is up. Time to, for me to evict you. <laughs> like that's my only expectation. Like you need to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but other than that, when I looked at them. I didn't see anything like, oh, you're going to be the best football player ever or whatever. When I looked at my children, I was like, I don't want to ask anything of you other than be a kind person. Mm. Kind of one of the hardest things you will ever accomplish in this world. There are going to be a lot of things that will make you want to be very unkind. You know, be easier to slip and be not a very nice person. So mm-hmm. that was all I wanted. Mm-hmm. Nothing else. Of course, I got some people like, oh, so if they became a bank robber, you'd be okay? I'm like, look, and listen, if they get away with it and they have tons of cash and they're sticking it to the man, then absolutely, it's there for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hey, that check comes to me to call, to, to show up in Belize. Hey, I whip that up. Hey, you know, as, I'm like, as long as they were polite and kind with it, I'm okay. <laughs> you know, but you know, that's how it does. Mm-hmm. That's how I do it. You know, and doing the work that you do, and I mean, you've not only got you've got Trinity, you've got three sons. I mean, there's a whole lot of challenges that that do that, and I'm with you. 
I want you to be, to love other people, to be kind, to be your best self. And you're going to define what your best self is. But in doing this work, do you find some of these reveal parties sort of like discouraging? I mean, because sometimes I'm looking like, aren't we already setting up? Like to me, if somebody's pregnant, just want a healthy, happy baby, you know, a healthy baby. But, you know, when you're, you're already putting like a pressure on them that, or your goals when you're trying to right. find out, you know, you're setting off blue or how do you feel that works with, you know, what we should really, you know, about developing authentic, strong kids, period. You know, well, first I want to say, actually I have two daughters. So my 10-year-old came out as trans two years ago. So now mm-hmm. I have two trans daughters. It's mm-hmm. a lot. She's a lot mm-hmm. more sassier. It's like, oh, great. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, she's just me. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So Rebellion. I have no longer, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I have no longer been allowed to go to gender reveal parties mm-hmm. <laughs> because of the last one I went to. Um, I was going to go, but I had, um, I was going to have to bring at the time my youngest uh, son, Lucian, with me. And he was like two. And they're like, oh, no, no men or boys allowed. I'm like, he's two. Mm. I can't imagine what he's going to do other than eat the cake. But they're like, no, 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 it's for a baby girl and only women and girls. And so I came, I was like, oh, well, you know, I'll get a sitter for you and Trinity and blah, blah, blah. So I went, I'm just sitting there, all these women. And I was just like, this is the best lesbian party I've ever been to. <laughs> And my friend, who had invited me, not the pregnant person, mm-hmm. looks at me and goes, what? I'm just waiting. Oh, somebody wants to take me home. <laughs> She's like, no one's a lesbian here. I'm like, ah, you say that. Now, give it time. So... She's like, would you stop it? So I was like, this at there still. They did the reveal or whatever. And then everyone was like hugging the mom and congratulating her on a baby girl and yada, yada, yada. So my friend, you know, introduced me. And she's like, you have children. I can't wait to learn from you. And I was like, well, I just want to congratulate you on celebrating your child's vagina. Mm. And she's just like, what? I'm like, well, that's what we're doing, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, was it a penis and I mistook the pink? She's like, no. I'm celebrating that I'm having a little girl. I'm like, or a vagina. I'm like, let exactly. me get to you this way. Just because your kid has a vagina doesn't mean you're going to have a daughter. You could end up with a son. So, you know, don't be mm-hmm. so hard on the kids. 
Kev's not even here yet. And she was shook. She was shook it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and the funny part is, that chow came out as non-binary. <laughs> she reached out so, to me know. recently. Like, what do I do? Love them, I don't know. Exactly. Love them, eat them. No. In the end of the day, I tell all parents it's come out. Look, they're still your kids. They just get like extra points, and they still won't clean their room. So. (laughs) I like that. They still want. They're still not. They're going to do everything that a kid's going to do. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they're. And if you didn't get enough out of playing with your trucks or your dolls, whichever the case may be, you know, go get some for yourself. I mean, it's okay, you know? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. and so, yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, that is so, that's so bizarre. Like I said, I, I've, I've met people recently who, and I was really happy. I was at one thing and I'm like this, a friend of mine, she was like, no, we're not going to have a gender reveal. And the whole time, they didn't look to, they wanted, they always had to check to see if the baby was healthy, but they referred to the baby as they and them. And even Mm -hmm. after the baby was born, like, you know, to give that freedom to be who you are and to accept Mm -hmm. and, you know, that is so important. To me, that's almost like the, the greatest gift you can give a child so I freedom to be themselves. Mm-hmm. did that with the last kids. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I always tell Trinity, I always thank her um, for, one, choosing me to be her mom. Mm. And she made me a mom. But she taught mm-hmm. me so much more. And mm-hmm. so... With the younger two, I never referred to them, to them, like, in person by he, him, or she, her. They, I just called them baby or their names. It was so cute because for Hyperion, Marion didn't know what gender she was. She was baby and Hyperion. Mm-hmm. I got pregnant again when I was pregnant with my last born. I would go, this is the baby. And she'd be like, no, I'm baby. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, no. Mm-hmm. no that, actually, I don't even think she knew her name was Hyperion. She just thought her name was baby. <laughs> I was like, no, no. No, baby's not your name. Oh, I got to mm-hmm. teach you your name. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. it was like... She she determined her gender, and so did my youngest. And he actually, for a year, lived with she her pronouns. Mm-hmm. And then was like, nah, I'm he him. I just like pretty clothes, so that's what we are. That's our my entire family is a rainbow. <laughs> And that's, 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 that's a beautiful thing. You know, you have, and it's one thing, like I know some people, I had someone say, you know, it's one thing to deal with this on your own, but 
why would you go up there and want to talk about it? And you're going to hear all these things from people that, you know, aren't going to be nice. What made you go from being just the mama bear to being the public mama bear? Pure accident. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's why one of the articles written about me is called The Accidental Advocate. I was Mm -hmm. truly accidental. Um, I hadn't planned on it. Um, I wasn't thinking about it. I just did something, became the first, and then word spread about me. Next thing I know, here I am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, when Trinity was going to start puberty, we needed to get her on blockers. And we are, you know, I'm a low-income mom, so I have Medicaid, and they denied her. Uh. And that's really when the mama bear, my kids call me a mama hyena. (laughs) I'm a lot, like, they're like, you're scarier than a bear mom. (laughs) Wow. And, but I just was like, no, we ain't doing this today. Nope. Nope. And so I told her, her doctor, like, I'm going to appeal. I'm going to keep appealing until they give up because they want me to give up. I'm not doing that. I promised this girl I would always be here and get her back. And now... They've woke a beast. Mm. So I'm just letting you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he was just like, awesome. And I did. I fought. I appealed and fought and appealed and fought for eight months. And I even did the whole sitting before, like, a panel type of thing. And they still denied her. And that was the last denial they would ever send. Because mm-hmm. I was like, I see now, I see, I see. I think y'all think I'm dumb. Okay, I'm not. So I wrote a letter explaining our background, our story, her story, what she needed now to ward off any mental health risks and physical Uh, risks, while also adding that them denying her based on her gender identity was in violation of Obama's Affordable Care Act, Section 1557, which states that no insurer is allowed to discriminate based on gender identity, and to do so is a grounds for a lawsuit. I sent that letter, certified Uh mail, to the governor of Delaware, the director of Medicaid, and the secretary of health and human services. And within two days, suddenly everyone was calling and was like, okay, we're going to approve it. And then I got to sit with them and help them rewrite their policy to include all trans and non-binary children. 
on Medicaid because thank you because you're low income and just because you're on Medicaid does not mean you do not get the same treatment and respect as anyone else. So that was the first thing I, I that people learned about it in Trinity made history as being the first transgender minor to get Medicaid to cover medical and mental health appointments. You know, that shows like the it's not just one thing. I mean to be honest, to be black is just one thing that to be a woman is not only did you have to be a mother, but learning that because many and I would say low income are people and particularly communities of color, black and brown families that have a a trans child are navigating that. And that is a, a role that was called for you as that black woman, as that black mom, as that person leading that life, you know, because we can have a lot of allies, even allies within right. the trans community, but if they aren't coming from that, they couldn't do that. They couldn't stand mm-hmm. in that truth and say, hey, this is what it was. Yeah, and so word did get out because Delaware's teeny. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And reporters started talking to me, and they were like, what made you do this? What made you fight this hard? And I'm like, well, my daughter, for one, mm-hmm. um, she was being treated as if she wasn't a person because she was trans, and I'm not having that. I was there for 14 and a half hours. I remember having her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was like, but I also, I don't have time to see other parents who are navigating this new and not have been in it as long as I have, having to go through this. It's exhausting and it's unnecessary. Mm-hmm. And to this day, there is not a single issue with doctors being able to get what they need for our trans and non-binary youth here in Delaware on Medicaid. Mm-hmm. And so that connected me with Sarah McBride. Mm-hmm. And she had a friend who had just started his own nonprofit, and he wanted to do a video response to um, – Ted Cruz, when it was all about the bathroom bills. Oh, please, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, saying, like, they're just going to let men dressed as women come in and assault your wives and children. And I was like, Trinity, did you know that when you go to the bathroom, you're really a man dressed up as a woman, and you're there to assault some women and children? And she was like, oh, is that what I'm doing? Last I checked, I was going to the bathroom and washing my hands Thank and leaving. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, you're not doing the bathroom right as a trans person. We <laughs> mm-hmm. were so sarcastic. I was like, Trinity, you're not doing it right. You're supposed to be a full beard. Full beard. What are you doing? She's mm-hmm. like, I can't grow a beard, Mom. I'm not going through male puberty. I'm like, no. We have a good time. Because we realized we're just... Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Well, you know, okay. As as the mama bear, you know, as my, you know, we're gonna take the heat for our kid. You know, it's like, oh no, you know, we're the ones who lift up the car when it falls on it. I mean, you know, we're gonna jump in the way of the bull. Okay, but doing this, it's sort of like put a spotlight on Trinity. Suddenly, you know, yeah. Essence had a thing about her. USA Today had a thing about. Her. I mean, she's in it. Uh huh. Did you? Were you? Did you? I mean, first of all, she's your black child, and we already know that there's things that are going to happen, you know. I mean, you had gone mm-hmm. through it as a black child, and you wanted to be Frederick Douglass, so you knew as a black child, you know, life's a bear, okay? Right. But when you knew that this was going to put the spotlight on her, were you so fearful? No, because mm-hmm. I'm like parents that, you know, I'm used to being around and grew up with. I asked my child before we did anything if she wanted to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I won't do anything without your guidance. If you don't want me to do a report about us, I won't do it. Mm. And I'm like, I'm going to treat this the way I've treated our entire relationship. You guide me. And she wanted to do it. And so I was, like, very uh, stern on what we would talk about and what we wouldn't talk about. Um, You know, I was like, if my daughter gets tired because she's on the autism spectrum on top of that, like, if she's tired Uh of talking to you, She's tired of talking. She doesn't have to talk to you. Now, if you want to continue talking to me, here's the things you need to understand. I'm not telling her story. It is not my story to tell. Mm-hmm. I will tell my story of what it's like to be her mother, but if you're going to ask me how do I think she felt during this time, I'm not answering that question because I don't know. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to talk to her. They've never seen a relationship like ours. And even to this day, I don't think a lot of people have seen mother-daughter relationships like us. You know, she gets to call me out when Mm. I've said something or done something that hurt her or hurt someone she loves, like her siblings, or was just plain wrong. Like, I allow my kids to call me out and say, Mom, you really hurt my feelings, or Mom, you made me angry. And I respect that. Because I get mm-hmm. to do it, too. It wouldn't be fair if they don't get to do it. Mm-hmm. So everything we, everything we did was always her final decision. It was mm-hmm. never mine. And people think that's weird. But I think it's worked for us. And it's taught her her boundaries. This is what she, these were her boundaries she was setting. And I need to respect those boundaries as does everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that's that's really that is so important because I mean I've heard that you know like that you you have boundaries and also that you know you say let her tell her story in her words you tell yours is an overlap of it but you know to give her that space I mean I know you have to be so proud of her as you sit back and listen to her and then I mean the influence. 
that she has on her siblings. Like, you know, that's our big sister. She got it, you know, so they can stand up and, and, and speak their truth. Yeah. And the best part is, like, people also think that she they must be kind of weird to talk about her to their friends. Um, but my – so my oldest son and her are 17 months apart. He's the only one who knew her before and knew her now. Mm-hmm. My 10-year-old, when she transitioned, she didn't even think she would ever meet another trans person. And I was like, oh, she never knew. That's right, because I never told her. She was just – so Trinity has just been sister to my younger two. Mm-hmm. They didn't know she was trans. So when my 10-year-old was like, she wished she could meet another trans girl to talk to, I was like, oh, yeah, your sister. Right <laughs> <laughs> over there. So yeah, wait a minute. Her. Right ahead. I had to call her down. I was like, hey, you got a sister now. And she was like, mm-hmm. cool. You're transgender like me, Hyperion. Hyper was just like mind blown. She mm-hmm. was actually like, this whole time I've been living with someone just like me? It's like, you're only nine. Calm down. <laughs> Um, but my youngest, he just doesn't, he doesn't know the term trans. He doesn't care it's trans when I was like, well, your big, your sibling before you is no longer going by he, him, and it's going by she, her now. And he just asked, but why? And I said, because it makes her heart happy. Mm -hmm. Can you Mm -hmm. do that for her? And he was like, okay, can she still play with me on Mario Maker? I'm like, well, you could ask her. And so he did. He went and asked her, and he's like, okay, so you're a girl now. Can you still play with me on Mario Maker? And she's like, yeah, let's go play. And he's like, great, let's go. And I'm like, that's really kids. That's kids. Mm -hmm. Does you trans stop you from playing the games we normally play? No? Okay, let's go. (laughs) You know? (laughs) It it wasn't a big deal to him. So... Mm -hmm. He, you know, so, yeah. You know, and that is so wonderful because, like I said, kids get it. Well, kids, it's not that that big a deal. But we have here the Ruth Ellis Center, and I've gone over there. And one of the things that you often hear from the young trans kids are like, they didn't, many of them thought that they were the only one. They didn't Mm -hmm. see anybody until, in part because, once they started to come to the the center, they saw other people. Um, they see reports online, online in the news, and so now they know. But they're not by themselves, and right. that's something that we need we need to make bigger. So we're going to take a quick break, and then I want to come back and talk about the organization. So we'll be right back. Okay. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. 
Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. And we're back here on Collections by Michelle Brown, and I am talking with the founder of Intersections of Pride Foundation, Deshana Neal. How did you go, I mean, when did you have time between naps and being a mom to found an organization, and what's the mission of Intersections of Pride Foundation? Oh, gosh, that's always the hardest question for me to ask. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. then it makes me sit back and go, oh, my goodness, did I eat? <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, no, put that in my schedule. Because, I, you know, not only was I dealing with all four kids in school, because I had to homeschool for 10 years um, because Trinity was not allowed access to public school when she uh-huh. was going to school. Um, and then having my daughter, my, my second daughter, transition in the middle of her second grade year and, like, making sure that was okay, um, sitting on six committees and working on my master's degree, which I completed. And I'm proud I don't of know. you. I am proud of you, sis. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I did it. I was like, mm-hmm. what did I do? What? Um but I just knew that I had already worked for in some capacity um, with two of the major trans and LGBTQ uh, nonprofit organizations in D.C. And I'm glad they gave me some footing, but it was just they were not safe places for me as a black person. Mm-hmm. And I talk about that on Instagram quite a bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I realized we needed organizations from, that were founded by black people, mm-hmm. black, queer, trans people, because the white-led organizations, they are not for us. They, they, you know, they think if we slap a picture of a black guy on the, our brochure, we're being diverse, but that's mm-hmm. not, no, that's not, that's not it. Um, and so I have been thinking about it. I had made history a couple of times prior to this here in Delaware um, by founding the first LGBTQ Youth Pride Festival, um, the first uh, Drag Queen Story Hour, like, I had done all these things, and the turnouts would be so vast that I realized there is a need here. Um, but I wanted to be more than just focused on this. I, I'm more than this. And so um, it actually took the passing of a dear friend, um, Monica Roberts. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a, she was a very good friend of mine too, you know. And every time, yeah, it is so hard to believe that she's not here with us, you know. It mm. it 
every time I'm waiting for her to post something about some fool of the week, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm, and, I don't mm-hmm, see it. Mm-hmm. and it hit Trinity really hard. One of the things that was important to me, and it's kind of where my my foundation came from, was, as you had said earlier, these kids think they're alone. Mm -hmm. And one of the most profound things I knew to do was to find black trans aunties for Trinity. Because Mm -hmm. while I'm her, her mama and I will fight to the end for her, I am not trans. And there are some issues she will not feel comfortable talking to me about. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want her to face them alone. And so Dee Dee Waters and Monica Roberts, Angelica Ross, they were all, they are all her aunties. So when mm-hmm. I told her that a cut had passed, it was devastating. Mm-hmm. And I realized it, we are my daughter is more than trans. Mm-hmm. She she grieves. She's human. She is black also. Like, that's always first and foremost. If you didn't know she was trans, you're going to know she's black. Thank you. And she's autistic. Mm-hmm. She has all these things going against her. And I was like, every time I go to the doctor they want to kind of talk about her being trans. I'm like, she's here for a sore throat. I don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) What does this have to do with her her throat? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, I decided Monica was really about intersectionality. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in 2020, I founded Intersections of Pride Foundation. The focus and mission of this nonprofit is to provide resources, affirmation, support, and safe places for marginalized communities. That includes uh, BIPOC communities, homeless communities, sex workers. Mm-hmm. People are up, get up in arms when they realize I help sex workers. But I don't just help sex workers. I'm also helping those who are sex trafficked. But mm-hmm. there's no shame in being a sex worker. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, mm-hmm. And so I was like, there's all these, like, communities that are ignored or pushed into the darkness so we can pretend they don't exist. But they kind of still need things. So let's just treat them with dignity and respect, too. And I posted something along the lines of treating our sex workers with dignity and respect. I got so much. <laughs> well, if they didn't want to be tr- in this situation and they want to be treated like blah blah blah, then they shouldn't blah 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 blah. I'm like, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh-huh. All right, and you and you and you want to and then did you want to say? Do you want to talk about institutional racism and about them not and and a system that denies them the opportunities to work and then they're right. victimized? By the very people who I was like, I was like, come on now, come on. There was this one guy. He was going off on me in Messenger, and I'm like, do you look at OnlyFans? And he's mm-hmm. like, that's different. I'm like, no, it's sex work. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you, if you imbibe in it, then you do at least need to give them dignity and respect. Mm-hmm. And 
he just didn't know what to think about that. And then he's like, you don't know nothing. He's like, you don't know nothing. I'm like, well, my master's degree will, you know, actually uh, not agree with you here. (laughs) He he was like, (laughs) I'm like, I think he thought because I was black, I also didn't have a degree. Well, you know, that's also why it's so important what you're doing because, like I said, I, I believe in the community, but I have been to a an event hosted by a white trans organization, and we talked about bringing in black trans women, and they were like not getting, they don't understand the full picture, and it's like, well, you know, if they're ready to get rid of that life, we could help them do a resume, and this, that, and the other, and then you wonder why they don't want to hear because you don't understand anything about their lives. Many of them transitioned later in lives where they had already had access to education, income to where life is good. Most of them have health care benefits. And to not understand that it's sort of like, and to put that lens on it, oh, well, if they're ready to, we'll help them write a a resume. So, you know, I know black trans women who have multiple degrees. Because right. of going through sex work. I mean, you know, it's like, it's work. Right. So how do you but stop in the victimizing end of the day, people? Mm-hmm. But in the end of the day, work discrimination, employment is discrimination because of white supremacy and homophobia and transphobia. Mm-hmm. Mixed together mm-hmm. means even if they have the most beautiful resume possible, they still go in there and they're going to see black trans. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Sorry, we've already filled this, this position. And, you know, the other thing that I like about what, about what you're doing is because someone brought up, well, you know, all of our national organizations now have a black executive director. But the, the power structure behind right. is not black. No. You, it didn't you know, start off that way. It didn't start out that way. So you can have, you know, someone who's blacky, black, black, the front face. But if your structure is still based on right. a society or norms that exclude us, you're not our organization. On top of that, they will choose the black person who is the closest in white proximity, the, mm-hmm. comfortable, the comfortable black person, which is why I changed my Google sign-in name <laughs> to no more, um, no more Mrs. Good Black. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't be what you would call the quote unquote good black because I'm not. I am black. I'm good, I'm bad, I'm whatever. But you don't get to determine if I deserve a position in your organization based on how comfortable I make you with your racism. Mm hmm. And so I was like, this is going to be founded by a black, queer, disabled mother. And. You know, I, I just added on gun violence into my mission because I get tired of hearing about, well, the, the kids in the city are shooting each other up and nobody's talking about their gun rights. And I'm like, okay, do we understand how this works? And, like, I have to break it down to people. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't want to live this life. They are doing it because they have no other options. I'm like, in the end of the day, 
you're gentrifying all these areas. You're mm-hmm. pushing these different, very different communities together closer and closer. And, yeah, there's going to be some gangs in each of these communities. You can't be pushing gangs together because now they don't have a turf. It's one mm-hmm. turf. I'm going to be fighting over that one little turf. And then everyone else is squeezed in with them. Everyone's getting hit. But why are they gangs? Because these are people, these are kids especially, who had families affected by the crack epidemic when the government was splitting apart black families. They've got incarcerated fathers, mothers, what have you. They've got a bunch of siblings that they are now in charge of. But they also got to go to school. But the schools they go to have barely any funding, so the education is lacking, if, if any at all. What's the point of being in school when the schools don't even care, when you could find your, quote, unquote, family in a gang that's offering you food, money to buy food for your siblings uh-huh. and giving you that security that you are looking for, the stability you're looking for. And instead of us thinking maybe, just maybe, if we put resources into these communities and recreate the village, mm-hmm. we might see change. Now, let's just keep punishing them over and over again until they have to face life in prison and then we don't have to worry about them. Thank you. And I, mm. I won't accept that. And, you know, I, I finally had to break it down to thinking of uh, animals at the zoo. Well, have you ever noticed the smaller the enclosure to, like, say, a predator, predatory animal like a tiger or a bear or a gorilla? Mm-hmm. Smaller the enclosure, the more agitated they are, the more aggressive mm-hmm. they are. That's what this is. You're pushing people together in an area that already doesn't have enough resources that they now all have to try to feed off of. They're going to be aggressive. They're going to be angry. It's not fair. But all we do is punish them because we we just want them gone, and then we don't have to think about it. So I have posted about um, the second Sunday of every month, my oldest son and I go out to provide food and resources to the homeless. Mm. Um, we, the resources are usually little paper bags filled with, like, deodorants, toothbrush and toothpaste, um, masks, hand sanitizer, wipes, and pads. Um, oh, and chapstick, because, I don't know, Delawareans love chapstick. It's really strange. <laughs> <laughs> If you've ever seen Biden sometimes talking, he's always, like, using chapstick. Yeah. It's something something weird. I have, like, 17 chapsticks, and I put them in different places because I know I'm going to misplace one, but then I know I know I have another one. There's one nearby. (laughs) That is just something about Delaware. We love our chapstick. Uh, (laughs) So... um, and then we provide uh, cold water. Who wants hot water? Nobody. Um, uh-huh. So it, we we first started doing this up near Maryland Avenue. 
And then one day we were doing it, and I was like, where is everybody? Like, there were no one. There was, like, not a single person who would usually be there. I caught um, a sex worker, and I was like, hey, where, where, where is everybody? And she's like, they moved them. They huh. threatened to arrest them. I'm like, well, where are they now? And she's like, they moved them under the bridge. I'm like, okay. So we packed up, and we drove to this underpass that's literally hidden, um, but by the train track, too. And there they were. Mm. So we set up shop again. We were there with other missions, and it was great. This last Sunday, so last Sunday we did it, we went to the same spot under the bridge. There was nobody there. I'm like, okay, (laughs) where is everybody? Even the mission trucks weren't there. Uh And I'm like, okay. So there was one guy who remembered us, and he grabbed some stuff. I was like, where is everybody? What happened? And he's like, didn't you see the sign? They put it up this past week, they being the city. Uh-huh. The sign wasn't there. They just put it up, and the sign stated, do not distribute food or clothing in this area. Uh. I'm like, this isn't even private property. Uh-huh. But the city just got a bunch of millions, and they're going to be gentrifying that area. Uh. So I'm you like, know, well, where are you, where you are you at now? Like, where are you guys at now? Because you were, and the guy was like, you're really going to come to where we are now? I'm like, we will come to you no matter where they send you because you deserve to eat, you deserve you. supplies, and you deserve clothes. So let me know so I can let the other missions know, and we will be here. So we got the information. And we will be moving to the next next <laughs> location. <laughs> and uh-huh. Could I get rid of it? A wow. top actually came by. Uh-huh. A top on a bike. And it was the most hilarious thing to me because he was on a bike. And I'm like, look at that adorable little cop on that bike. <laughs> <laughs> so, so precious. My son is looking at me like, would you stop? I'm like, just look at him. He's just pedaling away. <laughs> you got to stop, Bob. So the cop came to, there was the one group, they went to them, and then they came to us. And then I see the one group packing up. Mind you, we were actually almost out. Some homeless people came and grabbed stuff. And uh-huh. we were almost done. And the cop's like, you know, I don't know if you saw the sign. I'm thinking in my head, I cannot take this man seriously. He is on a bike. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I just struggled with this imagery. I'm like, ah. But um, I was like, well, we're almost done. And he's like, well, you're not allowed to distribute food in this area. I'm like, oh, I'm not distributing food. And he's looking at me. I'm like, I'm not distributing food. I'm protesting the sign. And it's my legal right to protest wherever I want. I love that. And he just looked at me, and I'm looking at him because he knew I I was right because it's the law. (laughs) And Uh so he had had to leave. 
And I was like, oh, and they're actually protesting too. And I screamed down and I'm like, right, y'all protesting? And they looked at each other and they're like, yeah, this is a protest. We're like, we're protesting. Hmm. (laughs) Wow. He he couldn't do it. He he was so angry. I don't know if you've ever wanted to just have the image of a a little cop on a bike just angry pedaling away. But oh no, you know, I, as you said it, I could see him like, you know, you know, I mean, can't you remember when you were a kid and you'd be mad and you'd hold those handlebars real hard and have that, you can see that little angry face, you know. Yeah. He was so, so, so aggressive with it. I'm like, that's nice aggressive pedaling. I could not stop laughing. I'm like, mm-hmm. they not send him again. Did, did you want to so, holler out, make sure your helmet's on tight, baby? <laughs> I was like, use that bike bell. <laughs> like, ding, ding. But um, my, son, my son was more afraid of me getting arrested. So he's like, please stop. And I'm like, I'm sad that your fear is that I might not make it out of this. Mm. And I'm like, I hate that as a black child as a black boy, I fear, now that he's learning to drive, Mm -hmm. I'm like, I almost don't want him to get his license. (laughs) Like, Mm. I I can't, I would not be okay. Like, I would not be okay. You Mm -hmm. don't understand, like, people don't understand. When I say I am a protective mother, I will fight you. Hey, you know, that's my kid. I'll fight you. (laughs) But, you know, the nonprofit has done a lot. Um, We also do um, community cleanup to Uh communities that are not city in our county. So I live in a county instead of the city, and we do not get the luxury of having the street cleaners come and help clean our streets and stuff and sidewalks. We have to do it ourselves. My dad did it. Oh, not my dad. My daughter started doing it in our neighborhood. Um, And people love it, you know. So then we started the program for the nonprofit. I was like, but we're going to do it in communities that are impoverished and can't really – but also county, so they don't have any form of cleaning, and a lot of littering happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, because I truly believe when your community is clean, you get a sense that you matter because your community matters. Yeah. And so we've been doing that. I'm slowly but surely, I just got my 501c3 this year. And now it's just, you know, donors are important. And I can't keep up programs without donors and donations. And we, like, I'm friends with a couple others who have not profits who are black, Uh queer-led women. People don't give us the money like they give the big white-owned organizations. Uh Uh-huh. In fact, they would prefer to ignore us. Um, They think we're too loud. You know, we're forcing them to see things they don't want to see. 
And I'm like, well, too bad. I mean, you can close your eyes. But while you're closing your eyes, could you also take money out your wallet? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, my favorite two things coming up, I'm going. We're going to be hosting a yearly out of the closet clothing swap, um, where it's going to be set up like a nice boutique, you know, looking bougie. But it's for <laughs> uh, LGBTQ people who are poor and may not be able to afford the clothing that they would love to wear to help express how they view themselves. Um, for other uh, at-risk communities, poor communities that may not be able to fund to be able to buy new clothes for school, like the clothing are free mm-hmm. with, you know, option of donation. Um, but my favorite section is going to be the business clothes section. Because we want people to get jobs, but then we don't like how they come in dressed. Well, guess what? I can't mm-hmm. afford nice clothes. Mm-hmm. And I know I don't have the transportation to get to the stores. So I've been telling people, like, if you've got old business clothes, like jackets, ties, dress pants, nice skirts, whatever, that you don't want to, you know, you're going to donate anyway, they would be great for the swap. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have, that's one of my biggest, um, feats coming up and I'm excited. And then the second one is our, um, pride surgery care packet. Um, when Trinity went for her surgery, there was a lot of stuff she needed post that mm-hmm. I wish I would have known and, it was hard to afford. So like those diapers, that adult diapers, mm-hmm. uh, under the under pads you place um, on the bed that you sit on, like all the gauze, saline solution, just comfort stuff, like comfort food, like snacks, things that mm-hmm. make you feel good while you're covering. And I'm like, this could be expensive for a lot of people. So, I talked to Trent about it, and I was like, do you think if if you didn't know me and I had created something like this and sent you a care package, would it make you feel good? Like, would you would you feel good about it? And she's like, yes. She's like, you got to put a card in it. <laughs> oh. She's like, you got to put mm-hmm. a card in it saying that we care about you, congratulations, and we're so proud of you. And I was like, okay. I was like, I can do that. She's like, because mom, you're mom to a lot of people. Which is true. I've taken in a couple trans kids whose parents didn't want them. And I have raised them. Uh (laughs) I'm everybody's mom. I'm everybody's mama. You know, it's interesting because I have a friend who she's waited in life, you know, and she said like, Nobody told her what she would need, what it would be like to have the surgery, what she would need after. And she said she knew other people, but nobody talked about it. Right. Nobody talked and, you about know, it. She said nobody talked about it. So, you know, and to have someone who, who had and firsthand would tell you, like you said, some comfort food, you know, 
you know, these just these little things, and it, it's interesting that you said that because I mean, this was like, um, like when in the past month that she said that, you know, like she said, and she was going to make it her point to start to talk about it because she recognized she knew people, but nobody said anything, you know. Yeah, and that's what the fundraiser for the thousand is so that I can kick off this program because the the clothing swap is going to be a joint um, project with other organizations in Mm -hmm. Delaware. This one is through Intersections of Pride Foundation, and I want to get it started so that I can send out, like, about five care packages, and they're going to be wrapped in, like, a basket. Remember how I used to get the stuff in the basket with the cellophane Mm -hmm. wrapped around Mm -hmm. it? Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's what I want to send. Um, mm-hmm. And it's for trans men and trans women and non-binary folk who, are, if they get any form of surgery. Um, mm-hmm. So that's why I'm trying to make it to the thousand so that this program can start, um, especially with a lot of things letting up now from COVID and pe- more and more people scheduling their surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, mean, and, you know, even for, like, parents who kids are going through surgery. I don't want parents to have to, like, worry about, oh, i got to leave my kid while they're recovering so I can go get more stuff because they didn't send me home with enough. Like, no, here you go. Here you go. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, I, like, that's really, I think, the kind of advocate and the kind of foundation I created, the one that is not just doing it for themselves but making sure others don't have to struggle and mm-hmm. see that they matter, you know, mm-hmm. regardless of their circumstances. Just like I told my kids, regardless of who you are, I just want you to be kind, and I want you to know I got your back. Mm-hmm. Well, we're coming to the end of our time here. What's the best way? I mean, I know I've looked at your website. Is that the best way for someone to connect with? Uh, Intersections and Pride Foundation? Uh, yes, they can contact the me through the uh, site itself, which is info at intersectionsofpride.org. Um, mm-hmm. You can also message me through Intersections of Pride Foundation Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And there is an in, uh, Intersections of Pride Foundation IG page. Uh, that you can go to to see what's going on and pictures of events and stuff. Um, and, yeah, that, you know, I, I answer as quickly as I can, unless it's mm-hmm. nap time. But they got to wait. <laughs> um, but, you know, we are looking for supporters. We're looking for donors. And we're looking for, like, volunteers. If you're in Delaware and you're like, I'd like to get in on handing out food and resources to the homeless and sex workers. You know, we're always looking for extra hands. And all okay, donations yeah. are tax deductible because mm-hmm. it's, we are a 501c3. Okay. Well, I want to thank you for spending time with me today. Um, the organization, uh, the work, it is so important. The organization is, again, intersectionsofpride.org, and we've been talking with Deshana. Neil, best to you, Deshana, and your beautiful family. Thank you. I want to thank my guest, the founder of Intersections of Pride Foundation, 
Deshana Neal. Intersections of Pride Foundation works to provide support, resources, and education while also raising awareness to the BIPOC, LGBTQ, homeless, and other marginalized communities intersections. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion or a topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change, right here on Collections by Michelle Brown.